This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron as a tabletop RPG setting. I'm one of your hosts, Christian Serrano. I'm Keith Baker. And I'm Wayne Chang. Welcome, everyone. Yes, and unfortunately, Scott couldn't make it. Uh, he had something come up. But uh, we are going to have to venture into the dangerous territory of Droem without him. We could use his military expertise, I'm sure, but unfortunately, we won't have it. So, that is true. Yes. So um, there's a number of articles that have been written in the past. Um, Keith, did you write the the first two, the Daughters uh, of Sorakel? Yes, I've written all yeah. of these. Okay, so we got the uh, two Dragon Shards articles, Daughters of Sorakel Part 1, Daughters of Sorakel Part 2. Uh, Keith, you also did an article on your website, uh, Dragon Marks, Droem, and the Daughters of Sorakel, which also has a bit of Q&A in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then in Dragon Magazine, number 368, you uh, did a backdrop for Greywall, which Mm -hmm. is like 18 pages or something like that. Oh, yeah. It's it's pretty big. It's pretty big, yeah. So so those are are some good starting points uh, if you want to learn more about Droem. Or the daughters of Sorakel, and of course the campaign books cover that that territory as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this this idea of a monstrous nation is is uh, is interesting because it is sort of like a nation that's trying to be organized. It's trying to sort of get a foothold and 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 uh, uh, have a place in the world. How did that come well, about? Like like where mm-hmm. where in the design process did that come up? Like we want to have a whole like right. nation. You know, so it came up in a, in a couple of different places. It was uh, it was different, but the basic concept that there should be a nation of monsters was in the original hundred page uh, setting Bible, uh, evolving into Joram. And there's two key aspects of it to me. Um, the first is that one of the driving themes of Eberron is to take things that exist in D&D and have always existed in D&D and try and look at them in different ways and look at the consequences of their being there. And so uh, one of the obvious ways that that happens is with arcane magic of saying, if this existed and behaved in this scientific way, what would the world look like? But uh, it was also interesting to do that with monsters, to say, if these things existed, uh, you look at Medusas in 3.5 as a perfect example, and they are not depicted in 3.5 as isolated victims of a curse or anything like that. They're just a sentient race, and their, their mental statistics are all better than humans. And it's basically if you have these creatures that are in fact smarter than people and have these abilities, what would they do with them? You know, what are, and instead of just saying monsters are things that sit in caves or sit on treasure and wait for adventures to come, what would it look like if they actually use those powers they have in ways other than just killing adventurers? So that was just one of those ideas of wanting to take, uh, take something that you know, things that have existed in D&D forever and just sort of consider other options for them. The other critical part about Droam is the idea of new nations arising during the last war, that the last war didn't just break up Galifar. It also produced Valinar, Dargoon, Droam, uh, all nations that, uh, that basically 
there's some inherent hostility or uh, trouble with that you know you essentially have Joam being considered by some of the other nations to be a terrorist state. Right. And that again is, you know, another aspect of Eberron is exploring our world. And it's just saying, let's have nations that are not the traditional fantasy kingdom, you know, the traditional feudal realm. And so Droam is interesting as this nation that is only about a decade old, that is very untraditional in its form. Uh, and it is this question of can it last? Will it grow? You know, is it growing stronger? Or most of the other nations are just dismissing it. And are they justified or not? And, you know, we want people to have to ask those questions. Uh, is this a nation that uh, we should dismiss as others have? Or is this a nation that has every right to exist and we should support? I, I think really one of those legitimacy questions, I think, is was one of the things that I, I always first looked at and, and kind of latched onto is there's this nation that did not get recognized by the Treaty of Thronehold, but is looking for legitimacy for whatever background reason. They're they're looking for we want you to acknowledge us mm -hmm. as a nation. You mm -hmm. know, some of the Dragon Mark houses already, you know, have all established things here. Now recognize us as a place, you know, give us a seat at the table sort of thing. And that was mm -hmm. one of the, the big things I always thought about Droem um, when you kind of read through it. And and I think one of the things that's interesting about that to me is in storytelling in general, um, you know, one of the common techniques when you're introducing someone to a world is for the the viewer or the reader to discover this through the eyes of the protagonist. And I feel that's the thing with Droam is rather than just saying there's a nation of monsters and it's existed for century, you know, for thousands of years and it's always been there and it's like this. We're saying we are going to challenge your view of monsters because it's also challenging the people of the world's view of monsters. Mm -hmm. That they see minotaurs and ogres as savages. And now we're seeing, okay, but actually these people be maybe more sophisticated than you think they are. And so, yeah. And I think uh, to touch on what Wayne was saying as well, um, and, and, and we're kind of like rolling into the GM section here yeah. of, the, of the show, of the episode. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the whole idea that they're, they're trying to establish themselves and be recognized as a nation. Um, and, but the motivations behind that, like nobody really knows for certain why the daughters of Sorakel are trying to do that, why they came to power. There's, 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 uh, I think suspicions or, you know, different, ver you know, understandings. I do think that an important thing here is actually to, you know, to take a moment just for anyone who is not deeply familiar with Droam and just talk about the core story. So the idea of Droam is that. Uh, for the last, you know, many centuries, uh, the continent of Corvair, where everything goes on, uh, has been dominated by the kingdom of Galifar, which is a largely human dominated, uh, civilization. And that that has sort of claimed the entire continent, but generally, you know, our whole sort of premise was, well, you're not going to have trolls just wandering around in Breyland eating people because they'd have been dealt with by now. So the trolls are pushed off into the wilderness, and that's Droam. 
Uh, and so the idea is for centuries, this has just been a backwater, edge of the map place where you do have gnolls, trolls, ogres, uh, and things largely just completely ignored by mm-hmm. uh, the five nations and largely just doing their own thing. Some of them had their own little uh, clans or tribal structures or small kingdoms, but basically just minding their own business. Um, Then during the last war, three hags appeared, the Daughters of Sorakel. And the principle of the Daughters of Sorakel is that, and this is one of the things that to me when dealing with Joam, it's an important part of the flavor, is that they are not just random oh, they're powerful monsters. They are literally stepping out of folktale. They are the things that your children and your parents used to scare you when you were children. That, you know, if if you're in the Eldian Reaches and you're a bad child, Soramini is going to come and drag you in a way in a sack. Right. And uh, so part of it is this idea that these are three figures literally stepping out of legend. And that they turn up in Droam with a huge army of war trolls and uh, skull crusher ogres, which were in 3.5 is basically these are the scariest, baddest, you know, these are elite soldier trolls, not just trolls. And they turn up with this army and they just tell everyone there, we're going to be a nation now. And if you don't like it, we've got an army of trolls. Right. Um, And so there are inherent mysteries of why how they raised the army in the first place, uh, you know, what is this about? And on the one hand, they are presented as having forged it essentially as a dictatorship, but that there are a lot of the the monsters within it that are actually kind of excited about, wow, I've gone from being, you know, in a tiny chief of a village to actually being part of a force that feels like it could be something in the world. Mm-hmm. Um The secondary aspect of that, of with the Daughters of Sorakel, there are three of them. Uh, Soraminya is uh, an Anis Hag and is basically the the muscle. Right. And she's the commander of their armies, and she's just literally supposed to be able to tear things apart and uh, just be a terrifying physical force. Uh, Sorakatra, who's a green hag, is their voice, and she is you know, charismatic and her stories are about making deals, tricking people. And that's the idea that again, she is a legendary trickster essentially now in charge of a nation. And then the third uh, daughter is Sora Taraza and she is what's called a dusk hag. And her thing is that she is described as being one of the most powerful oracles in, uh, in the world and that she just knows things nobody knows and but at the same time she's either crazy or she's kind of trapped by Mm -hmm. what she knows and so this is part of the idea with the daughters is they have access to this knowledge and this ties into the why are they doing this part of the question is well they may just be doing it because Sora Taraza has seen that it's what needs to be done but that aspect of mystery it's not just that they are some evil overlord. It's that we're not sure if they're doing this because they believe monsters need a chance or if they're doing this because uh, there is a mystery in the future that, you know, it could be that they'll end up being important allies. 
Right, right. It's not an idea that that they're doing this from malicious intent, just that there's some complex things that they're able to see. Like Sora Taraza, yeah. her her ability for prescience is so powerful, it's it's like almost immeasurable, uh, or, or at least nobody knows what the limits are. Right. Um, and in Katra, I mean, she's even keeping secrets from her own sisters, you know, right. like, so there's, there's a lot of, you know, complexity that I think gives, um, gives DMs or, uh, um, basically a, a really uh, almost infinite toolkit to work with as far as like, you know, plots, plot devices and such. And, and that's the thing to me as a game master is, uh, you know, to me, exploring their motives is interesting. On the one hand, it is simple to use the creatures of Droam as a source for I need some monsters in this story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is the point of the organization Dask uh, or Dask depending how you want to say it, uh, in Sharn is, well, if you do want to pack a Knowles in Sharn, they're probably coming from Dask. Right. Um, at the same time, it is also that chance to say in Eberron, the bad guys aren't always monsters and the monsters aren't always bad guys. Uh, that, you know, oftentimes you take Russian folktales, sometimes Baba Yaga is the uh, the terrifying monster and sometimes the hero's got to go make a deal with her. Right. You know, she's got the thing you need or she's got information. And to me, that's the daughters of Sorakel is that they aren't just villains, especially because of Taraza. They may have important things you want to know or, you yeah. know, uh, maybe there to help you. Or they might even have things that they possess that you need. You know, right. Whatever it might be. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that goes into like some of the reasons why somebody might, uh, like a GM might send players into that area as part of the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It could very well, and not just the daughters of Sorakel, it could be any of the warlords, for example, as well. Yes. Um, and, yeah. And, and I think that's an important thing. And again, uh, sorry to be uh, talking up a storm here, no, but so talking, talking again, you know, we said, this is how Droam came to be. The daughters of Sorakel came and united people, but talking then to who they united. The idea is that Droam is made up of a collection of warlords. Each mm-hmm. warlord governs a particular territory in the name of the daughters. And most of those warlords essentially governed those territories beforehand, you know? So you have Sheshka, the queen of the Medusas, who the point is saying, oh, the Medusas have had the city-state of Kazakh Drawl for hundreds of years. Uh, And now she's just joined to the daughters. You have Sheshka, you have Reshturikbar, who's the Minotaur warlord. Uh, You have, I think his name is the Prince of Bones, if I'm remembering, uh, who's a troll, you know, warlord. You have the Harpy Flights. Uh, One of the things I particularly like is the Zneer Pact, which is the Knolls of uh, Eberron. And part of the idea is Knolls traditionally in D&D are presented as essentially being just demonic uh, creatures and servants. Uh, And in Eberron, the whole idea is they broke from the control of the demons, that they were Mm -hmm. uh, made to serve the overlords and they broke free of that. Uh, And that they are this very disciplined, uh, you know, honorable mercenary force. Um, And so it, again, just lets you look at things like gnolls in a very different way. Uh, Although you can still pull them from the demon wastes if you just want crazy, you know, uh, demon gnolls. Mm -hmm. 
But the the point to that, nonetheless, is that you can have scheming among the warlords. You know, one mm-hmm. of the ideas is that she's raised a kobold uh, to be a warlord uh, over kobolds and goblins, whereas traditionally the region goblins were very much just they're the slaves of bigger, more powerful creatures. And that's a point where Resh Tarkbar hates that uh, that Kobal warlord, uh, you know, and you can have that kind of scheming and things like that. Right. It actually reminds me of uh, sort of the backstory to Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. uh, where there are these different nations, but in this case, clans or, or, or tribes or whatnot. And then, you know, one powerful group comes in and basically, you know, threatens them into uniting. And uh, and I think that's that's pretty compelling. It's, it's a really interesting thing that you say that because I've seen people sort of talking about how could I do a Game of Thrones sort of story in uh, in Eberron. And honestly, I think a really compelling way to tell that story would be in Droam. Yeah. Uh, you know, if the players agreed, like, well, where do you want to be from? You know, uh, and I've run stories sort of with characters from Droam before. Uh, but the idea of basically saying, let's just all go in, you know, we're all part of, uh, we're, we're, you know, uh, warband commanders from Resh Tarek Bar's, uh, you know, forces mm-hmm. and let's play out the, the, our attempts, you know, to, to, uh, expand our power in Droam. Right. Uh, because mm-hmm. it is not, you know, this is that whole sort of point of the nation has only been around for 10 years. It has that volatility that it's harder to have in a place like Brayland. Right. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. alliances are going to be very fragile, uh, very mercurial, and mm-hmm. uh, and I think there's there's you know like, there's even some warlords who are sort of eyeing the the proverbial throne. Yep. Even. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the question: is could could they take it from mm-hmm. the daughters? Could mm-hmm. Droems exist without the daughters? You know. Oh, that's that's a, definitely a personality thing. That's definitely something that um, once you get right into it for for GM. I, I mean, maybe just to kind of go right on topic for a sec. Um, th- there's two major things that you're doing as a as a as a DM as a GM uh, for Drome. And correct me if I'm wrong. This is what I feel. Mm-hmm. Number one is if you're dealing with the internal politics of the mm-hmm. nation, you are trying to ally with a warlord or something you're trying to get something the other one is if you're an outside force or an outside group entering this country like i know that sounds like it seems really really simple but really what it's going on there is that you're trying to decide and trying to figure out we're entering a nation of monsters and now what you're discovering is it's not it's it's only 10 years old it's not as you know front and center it's not the daughters of sorakel and everybody else it's sort of like the daughters of Sorakel are up there, and there's a lot of little things going on in the background. And I think that's one of the things that if you don't play a campaign inside of the nation, you're just visiting, quote unquote, mm-hmm. visiting, you mm-hmm. lose, I think you may lose a lot of the nuance that Keith was talking about, that Christian was talking about, um, about this nation. It's not a unified force. Um, it hasn't had enough time to do that. It hasn't enough time to, no one's had enough time to even rebel yet. That's that's kind right, of what, right. what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. No, and and that's the thing, and and that's part of as a game master in introducing Droam. Really, you want to decide where you think it's going, because Droam is essentially presented as this place where the five nations 
think, oh, it can't last. It's too unstable. The warlords are all going to, to split apart. And the question is to you as a game master, is that the story you want or do you want the story of it coming together and being more powerful than anyone uh, would expect? And And both of those are interesting different stories to explore. You can have it as something that is a dangerous force on the edge of Brayland that is always threatening, you know, uh, Rush Tarkbar's leading raids, you know, it's always threatening to, to turn into full war. Or you can say that to everybody's surprise, it actually ends up being an important ally in, you know, when the Dalkir rise again right. or something like that. And that that's a sort of interesting, you know, thinking about as a game master, do you have a vision for where you want to see the nation go? Right. Like I could imagine too, as the, as the five nations, for example, are watching draw, um, there's going to be some tension with respect to who's going to be the first to become allies with them. Mm -hmm. Because if mm -hmm. war breaks out again, that's a very powerful ally to have. Or the other and, thing around, what if someone attacks them first? Right. Right. And yeah. and and this is also the, the secondary aspect of Drawn, uh, is that it's uh working with House the Rashk. And that uh it's part of their power is that they are the brokers for mercenaries from Droam within the five nations. And <clears throat> Um, and that is that point of it's not just that you're dealing with these monsters sort of off in their own kingdom. It's that you're dealing with them in the five nations as not immigrants, but, you know, visitors. Uh, and that, that you know, the again, the Knoll in Sharn isn't just some random monster. He is a he's a soldier from Droam. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that just changes up the dynamic of uh, monsters not really having a strong root in the world. Right. Um, I do think that, you know, one of the things we've sort of touched on, but I just always want to say when I'm dealing with uh, the nation, uh, uh, you know, one of the things I really do like to think about is whatever monsters you're dealing with. If you look at their abilities and consider how could they harness these in as sort of tools and, you know, a couple of just quick examples, you know, we've noted that uh, the Medusas of Kazakh Drawl uh, essentially will use petrification as essentially a form of cryogenics. You know, someone's uh, sick or injured, well, you know, petrify them real quick and we'll unpetrify them when we can deal with it. Or the idea that, uh, you know, leaders, when they're getting old and they're about to go, instead of waiting to die of old age, they'll be, they'll be petrified so that their, uh, you know, successors can at later times thaw them out when they need uh, to consult with them. Right. And, you know, uh, these sort of things like that. You have the idea that Harpy Song, first off, could be an excellent form of entertainment. Uh, but also that they use it to call crews to work in the morning, you know, things like that, that it's not mm. just a weapon. Uh, it is also, they have a beautiful hypnotic, hypnotic mumbling voice, you know, same idea of the changelings and doppelgangers using their shape changing in artistic ways, as well as to deceive. And of course, you know, uh, most important of all troll sausage. Right. <laughs> right. I always think of that actually, the idea that uh, because they regenerate, you have 
like an endless supply of food, basically. Right. And, and part of what we've suggested there, because this is the, you know, this is where we then get into the logic behind things mm-hmm. of if this exists now, why didn't it exist before? And one of the obvious concepts behind that is because the creatures of Droam are A, not very good at agriculture, and right. B, a lot of them are carnivorous. And it's quite simple to say they couldn't support a city the size of Greywall because they never had essentially a reliable food supply. Um, and so the idea is the daughters show up and among other things, they're like, we've got an army and we'll crush you if you don't do what we want. But if you do do what we want, we'll feed you. And that they have this endless supply of grist, uh, which is as they call it. And what that is, is troll sausage. But again, the principle is, if that's the case, why hasn't it been done before? Why hasn't everybody eat troll? Uh, And that's where the idea is they normally troll meat is incredibly poisonous, that you eat part of a Mm -hmm. troll and it's going to start growing in your stomach. Uh, But that the daughters do have, they've got some secret herbs and spices, like we like to say. Uh, that makes it possible. So grist is another of those mysteries of it's central to their power over Droam. Uh, but again, if one of the other warlords really wanted to take over, they'd have to figure out how do we make grist because I mean, it's a I, vital part of of the nation. Everybody knows you just have to roast it over a fire. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, that's true because it does kill it. It's, it's actually acid. I think you pickle it in acid. Right, right. There you go. <laughs> well, and I, and I think too, it's like most of the monstrous races. I mean, there are some very intelligent ones, like you have Oni and such, um, and Medusas, frankly, and Medusas, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them, like the gnolls and such, they're not as intelligent, and you know, and they're primarily hunters and gatherers. They're not like you know, they're not farming. They're not you know doing those sorts of things. Um, and so you know, I, I see it as sort of a cultural shift for them, you know. Uh, it, it's almost like the um, oh, in Game of Thrones, the um, wildlands, the, the Iron Iron Islands. Oh, the Ironborn, or, yeah, Ironborn, mm-hmm. right, Ironborn, uh, where all they knew was raiding and pillaging, right? That they don't, no, they don't farm, and and that is exactly the idea. Is that it's this blend of on the one hand, you do have the idea that typically ogres would just be sort of living in huts, commanding a small band of you know goblins that they they ruled by sheer force. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the other hand, you have something like Kazakh Drawl, which was a very sophisticated, you know, tiny, you know, tiny city state, but still a sophisticated nation that's been around for centuries, um, or the venomous domain. And, um, uh, you know, and it is the idea that the daughters are bringing all those together and that there is this certain amount of culture shock of, again, yeah, you know, most of the ogres uh, and such have never, you know, and certainly a lot of the goblins, you know, haven't ever lived in this kind of civilization. Right. Uh, but it's fun to explore that. Right. So uh, do we have any other uh, tidbits for GMs that you can well, think of? One more thing I'd throw out. <laughs> Yeah. Is that Droam is, you know, it's it's a lawless nation. And by that, I mean, it is not, I don't mean that it, there are no laws there. Although we do say in Greywall, the laws are basically uh, the flare guard will protect the city. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't care if you're going to pick a fight with, you know, if an ogre picks a fight with a troll, they'll take bets on who's going to win. But if either of them sets fire to, you know, a bank, 
then they will stop them. You know, so uh, so it's very much a frontier nation and that doesn't follow the laws of the five nations. And that means that it is first off a great place to have people pursuing deserters, fugitives, war criminals. Well, they can always go hide in Droam. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in the pursuit, you don't have essentially the law to fall back on. You know, it's, it makes it a creative place um, like that. And, well, and at the same time, you're, you're not beholden to the law either because there's not right. much of one. Um, and while, while you think about that thought, the, you know, that's an interesting thing because if they do become a recognized nation, does that imply that they have to follow the standard laws that the other nations follow? I would think so. I would right. think if Probably. they, the idea is they have petitioned to be recognized under the Treaty of Thronehold. Uh, and, and I would expect that if they were, the agreement would be that they would have to do that. Now, the question mm-hmm. is, would they? Right. Because, right. you know, in theory, the same is true of Valinar and Dargoon. But mm-hmm. the point is, if they don't, who's going to, you know, how is that going to be enforced? Enforced, who's right. And that's why I raised that question. Because yeah. you know, we're talking about gnolls or, or, you know, ogres and such. And, you know, currently their state is not one where they have a lot of order, per se. Right. Mm-hmm. And – it's also the other thing I'd say with Droem is on the one hand, you have the idea of this unified nation with monsters working together, and then that's interesting to explore. On the other, you have the idea that many of these creatures had their own enclaves or cultures that do still exist. So for right. example, Kazakh Drawl, the Citadel of the Medusas, Lost is the Citadel of the Doppelgangers. And Lost is a city that is actually a shape-changing mobile city. And, you know, part of the point of it is that's sort of the the stronghold of the Cabinet of Faces. Uh, and, you know, part of the point of it is that's a mystery. You know, can you find Lost? What's it going to be like when you get there? Likewise, the Venomous Domain is the primary civilization of tieflings or culture of tieflings, I should say. Uh, and if you want to be a tiefling character, you know, it is an mm-hmm. interesting place to come from. And that's the idea that this is basically this, this offshoot of the ancient Sarlona nation of Orkaloon, uh, that, uh, that is very arcanically in, uh, advanced, um, you know, in the midst of this, this vast wilderness. I will say the one other thing that had occurred to me was it is also a place where you can explore the open worship of the Dark Six. Ah, yes. So, uh, which moves us into talking about players, because part of the point is if (laughs) you were interested in exploring that as part of the background of a player, this is a good place to to come from. Yeah, I think um, I think that's you. you, uh, That's a good starting point because one of the interesting things is, is how they perceive the Dark Six, and they don't see the Dark Six the same way that the rest of the nations or the rest of the people of other nations see them. Um. Which I find interesting. And um, I think also, like you were talking about the different regions, like, you know, Land of the Medusas, the Doppelgangers and such. Uh, as a player, like if, if you were to choose to try to play a monstrous character, there's the idea of, um, you know, like if once you start exploring beyond Droam, you're essentially like a stranger in a strange land. 
Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's that there's, there's good storytelling that can come out of that. And not so much like, oh, you know, everybody hates me. I'm the outsider, but more of like, what is this? What is the rest of the world actually like, you know, that curiosity and, and, and confusion even. I think you're, you kind of hit something on the head there. I mean, obviously there is the one thing of I am from this nation or I'm going to this nation where um, the rest of these quote unquote civilized worlds reviles us, um, thinks that we're monsters. I mean, we are even us, you know, the thing was looking, uh, um, you know, we're, we talk about them as monsters, you know, this is the nation of monsters, but mm-hmm. you are not a monster in your own family coming from Droem. If you're a Medusa, yes, you know that you have this power. Yes, you know that this is, you know, you are the, kind of the top of the food chain here. Mm-hmm. But you don't consider your, you probably don't consider yourself a monster. And I, I know that might be, you know, it's a little bit of a, that that shift in mentality. But the second thing is, you are so much like just the base thing. You are the boogeyman. You are so much more powerful. Let's talk about Medusa or, or, or an ogre or a mentor. You're so much more powerful than the regular human. And yeah, I mean, if you're going to start, your DM's probably going to let you be a Medusa. Let's let's probably put it that way. But <laughs> but come from an, a thing where, you know, we don't have the same laws. Might makes right. You're dealing with people with, with, innate, with innate power that basically shapes nations. Um, it's, a, it's a really, really different you know, shift being like, my background is from Droam, where, you know, every day we're fighting off different warlords rather than, oh, my, I'm, my background is, you know, I'm, I'm a Dorian uh, courier, you know, you know, mm-hmm. house Orion courier, you know, that kind of thing. It's a really big, sh- you know, thought shift there. Yeah. One of the things, you know, there's a couple things that that makes me think of, uh, you know, one of them is another place that the nation is covered, uh, in some depth, you know, perhaps the most depth of anything that's out there is my novel, the queen of stone, mm-hmm. uh, which is set entirely in Droam. And, um, one of the, the points there is, is that the Medusa queen Sheshka is one of the, the characters of the novel. And it does sort of very much address that point of, I know you see me as a monster. Uh, and that, that that is, you know, sort of an interesting uh, aspect to explore. But that also ties to the point of the Dark Six of in two different ways. You know, the first is the concept that the shadow is seen as uh, overall as the, the creator of monsters. And, you know, that is in the five nations, something that makes them an evil thing to be feared. But if you're a monster, then that means this is your guy. And that to, you know, in, in the, the Kazakh faith, uh, it's essentially the, the shadow is seen more or less as Prometheus, you know, that it's basically the, the sovereigns keep their gifts from the humans the shadow is the one who gave us these gifts and that the sovereigns wouldn't share with the people who worship them. And that to them, they're just like, why do you worship those gods when you know they don't give you anything? Flipping it around, it also ties to that point that in uh, the, the sovereign host are primarily gods of civilization and that they are driving things like honor, law, duty and that 
if you respect the law, if you you know respect things like that, then Orion, Dol Dorn, Dol Ara, those are going to be your gods. In uh, Joam, where really justice is much more in your hands than gods like the Fury, who is the god among other things of vengeance, and the Mockery, who is basically victory at all costs, are both the forces you need to survive uh, and to get what you you want. So it is just this fundamentally different look of, you know, to someone from Joam, in many ways you could say the Fury is a god of justice because they see vengeance as justice. Right. Yeah. That's, um, I was, yeah, I was just thinking about that as you were saying that because, yeah, when you when you're dealing with brute force, uh, you know, like you said, um, uh, right by might and such. Um, I mean, that's your outlook. That's that's how you see the world. That's your truth, right? And um, you know, I, I but I am curious how, in in your opinion, Keith, how do they see the other deities? You know, like the, say the you know the the core sovereign host. Um, in contrast to the dark six, like, do they still look to them for other things in your opinion? Or are they just like, we don't even deal with those. Like they don't, they don't help us in any way. So there's a couple of different factors there. And, and all of this again, to me, we should, you know, preface this by saying that we're talking about uh, how could this be interesting to you as a player? And part of the question is if these are interesting ideas, uh, this is a background you could have that lets you explore them, you know, whether you're monster or human, because there are humans in Joram. Uh, you know, you could be uh, from there. Um, and the main thing to me is if you're coming from there, I really want, you know, try to encourage people. Again, if you're a Minotaur, you're not just a human with horns. You know, you are coming from a different place, as Wayne was saying. You are the top of the food chain. You know, you are a different kind of entity and you're going to have a different outlook on the world. Um, to me, the idea is that the Kazakh faith does sort of hold to the same uh, split that, that on both sides of the thing, you know, essentially the primal myths say that the, the nine sovereigns split with these six deities and that they primarily have said, well, we're embracing this side and as opposed to the other. So the point is, if you compare Orion to the shadow, Orion is the god of lore and the god of magic, but is very much about essentially combining those two things. There should be laws with magic. It should be, you should follow, essentially, don't do anything that's not safe. You know, follow the rules. Uh, whereas the shadow is about you should have all the power you can take. You know, there is nothing that should be kept from a person who has the ability to, to take it. And so the shadow is a god of magic, but he's the god that says, you, you know, you do your own thing. Whereas Orion is the god of arcanics, you know, the god of having systems and colleges and things like that. And so part of the point is the dark six just fit the, the way that they view things. It's the same thing with war. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the fact that they follow the mockery just basically says they don't see honor as a thing that has a place on the battlefield. 
you know, they're just like, why would we follow Dom Aura? That's just, you're handicapping yourself. Right. You they're coming from a place of survival. Like, you know, they're that, exactly right. Yeah. They're, they're saying fear, treachery, you know, these are the tools I will use to defeat my enemy because all right, that matters right. is survival. And whereas the, the sovereign host, again, law, honor, uh, you know, community, all, community, all of these mm-hmm. principles uh, are things that support a, a thriving civilization. And so you could easily say, well, in a hundred years, do they say, actually, we do need these things. We are going to bring Orion into the picture uh, because frankly, you know, laws are actually a pretty good idea. Uh, that could happen. But the idea is at the moment, they see the the values espoused by the six as the things that they value in their civilization. And, and we're not part- going to be seeing – oh, go ahead, Wayne. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I'm just adding on to that just a little bit. It was if you think about what kind of civilization, you know, humans and, and whatever, they – as human beings, we need that culture, that civilization, that togetherness, mm-hmm. that community. But flip it on the other side, the Dark Six are not as worried about uh, community. Um, they're more worried about personal power, and personal mm-hmm. power begets a clan, a tribe, a a following. But right. it has nothing to do with building a community. It's this is necessary for you to feed mm-hmm. me and to feed my army, you know, Hence, mm-hmm. warlord. Not, I want to build a community where I'm the mayor, but everybody theoretically contributes to this community and and grows this community, and and we are stronger together. The other way is around: is you are the stronger you are, the stronger your tribe right. your tribe is. It's and the other right. way is this community: the stronger the community is, the stronger we are. And and this comes back to things like looking to the other sovereigns. You know, Arawa is the the sovereign of essentially agriculture. And as we've said, they don't do agriculture. You know, even Kolkaran is about travel and commerce. And at the moment, those aren't big things for them. Uh, but it is that question of if they succeed, if they thrive, they are coming from this place that is much more essentially savage survival. But are they going to have to uh, sort of adopt uh, more, you know, more law and order uh, to thrive? And that remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and I can imagine as, you know, if they do become, you know, a nation proper, that there's going to be with that, you know, again, more commerce and such and more cross cultural blending. You know, I, I think I can imagine where, you know, there's new things that are learned and, and, and such um, that, you know, the monsters of drama might actually start adopting over time. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, for sure. And, and again, it's that that difference between the different subcultures you know mm-hmm. the fact again that that the venomous domain already is a very sophisticated culture and things like the venomous domain and kazakh draw may very well have their own laws within their own communities mm-hmm. uh but you know they aren't applying those to the nation as a whole um but coming back to to players 
Um, you know, again, one of the questions is, you know, there's sort of three ways to look at it. This is a place I want to go. This is a place I am from, or this is a place I have experience with. And if you're from there, you know, one of the main points is this is a place to play, you know, a, a point of origin for monstrous characters. Uh, whether you're using Volo's Guide to Monsters, whether you're using uh, one of the various uh, Eberron supplements in the DMs Guild, um, you know, if you want to play a Minotaur, this is a great place to be from. Um, and so it explains, you know, you could easily say, oh, my Minotaur is basically a mercenary from uh, from Droam. It could be that you're actually actively uh, working with House of the Rash, or it could be, oh, you worked for them during the war and now you decided to stick around and fo follow adventure. Um, so it's a great place to have either an individual monstrous character from, or as we were talking about earlier, it can be very interesting to actually set a story there and have all the players uh, play monstrous characters. Go on. Oh yeah, no. I think uh, you know you mentioned having had experience with as as one of those options as well, and mm -hmm. you know I can imagine somebody who uh, maybe they were a former criminal, mm -hmm. and you know they've been there before and they know people back there that they that they have to go back, but they don't really want to run into those people, mm -hmm. um, or maybe they were a bounty hunter for House Theresk, and you know they're every now and then they have to go into Greywall and find that person. Um, well, and yeah. I, I think that's a great uh, example, especially if you're going with Erishk, um, of saying this is just a place I have experience with. Right. Greywall in particular, Greywall is the city on the edge of Droam. It's the, the Casablanca, mm -hmm. uh, if you will. And I would definitely, as a game master, if you were playing a character who was a Therishk bounty hunter – uh, I would totally be up for saying, okay, tell me someone you know in Greywall. Right. You know, like, let's talk about who's your contact. Uh, you know, a couple goblins at the bar, you know, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be a lot of fun. Who are you trying to avoid? Yeah. yeah. You know, to me, that's a great uh, – you can almost look at Greywall as as it's Moss Eisley. And if you want to say, well, I'm, you're Han Solo, <laughs> you know, it would right. be a lot of fun <laughs> to – and, you know, on the one hand, you know your way around. And on the other hand, well, there's a price on your head, you know. Um, I would, I would personally, as a game master, have a lot of fun with a player who wanted to, uh, explore that. I've got an elemental land cart that can get you where you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> She's fast, old man. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so I think that's the, the whole sort of point is thinking about, even if you're playing a more traditional character, do you have some connection to it in your background? And one of that point is you could say, either that you fought on that front because there was active conflict there between Brayland and uh, Drawn. Uh, or you could also say that, yeah, you know, you were a deserter from the Braylish army and now the war's over, it's been forgiven, or, you know, whatever. For some reason you were a fugitive and you've been cleared, but you did have to spend five years uh, over there, you know, while you were on the run. Um, and I think there's a lot of interesting things you could do with that. What do you think a player should expect if they have to go into Droam for 
the MacGuffin or for some insight from one of the daughters of Sorakel or whatever it might be. Like what, if you were to give a warning, what warning would that be? So what I like about the nation is it's this chance for the players to suddenly be on the opposite side and be the outsiders, you know, going to a city where you're essentially the monsters, you know, and uh, so I like that both as the, uh, you know, and removing the safety net on top of that is you have to learn how their customs work because they aren't always killing each other all the time or anything like that, but they aren't following the laws, you know, and you have to figure out how do you, you know, how do you get information from an ogre without, uh, it deciding to hit you. Um, it is also the case with Droem of just exploring that the services that you're used to aren't going to be, don't work the same way. Um, I'll go ahead and say, you know, one of the adventures I run, I've run a lot set in Droem is this, this whole adventure in which, uh, the players are daughter, are, uh, agents of the daughters of Sorakel looking for a, essentially a, a disguised wizard. Uh, you have to deal, you know, one of the people you can deal with is a night hag who, uh, sells magic items. And part of the thing is she's not necessarily interested in money. You know, it's, what does she want? You know, what can you offer her? Because again, it's not as civilized a nation and money isn't, you know, a lot of things are going to be done by barter. Um, yeah, I'm glad you and, brought that up. Yeah, the barter mm-hmm. thing is is a big one because, you know, you're going in there, you might need something, but they're going to need something first. Right. Whether it's an and object or a favor or, you know, whatever. In the case of the, the Night Hag, you know, spoiler alert for uh, people who might play this adventure with me, one of the things she wants is she wants some of your dreams. And it is basically a bargain of she's just saying she wants some of your dreams and she'll come take them whenever she feels like it. Mm. And are you willing to make that deal? Like you're giving her permission to just show up in your head at some point in the future. Um, and and that is that point again, that not only is it going to be a barter, but people may not want the kind of things you're used to them wanting. And that, that can be an interesting thing to explore is the things you think of as having value don't necessarily have value here. Right. Um. And, and I do think it just is a place to explore characters that in some places, even in Eberron, uh, would be seen as, uh, you know, villains. One of the, the points is saying Droam has a population of lycanthropes. And, uh, you know, one of the power groups is a group called the Dark Pack. And they're lycanthropes who who basically are fugitives who survived the, the Inquisition, or at least descendants of people who survived the Inquisition. Uh, and and that's this is again a place to explore uh, lycanthropes, either whether it's as a character or as a just you want to go deal with them, uh, and things like that. It's another possibility. So I think I think one other thing that that would be a fair warning is uh, 
if you're a paladin of the silver flame, you're probably yes. not going to be very welcomed. <laughs> no, that is that is true. The silver flame is is not popular again because the silver flame protects us from supernatural threats. But if you're the supernatural threat, <laughs> they aren't your favorite people. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, right. But at the same time, I mean, this is the point. This is a place where the Dark Six are seen as, if not benevolent, at least positive forces. And the Sovereign Host are seen as, you know, weak and cruel uh, and or selfish, I suppose would be a better term, where the Silver Flame is reviled. You know, it just kind of turns a bunch of the standard things you're used to in the Five Nations upside down. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and likewise, again, it's a place where a lot of the services you're used to just don't exist. You know, they don't have message stones, uh, you know, or things like that. So, I think we've we've covered quite a bit on this. I don't know if there's any additional thoughts that Wayne you might have or Keith that you want to throw in uh, before we wrap up. Um, not really. I mean, I think it's. Uh, I think this is one of those really fascinating topics that really needs. Um, the DM's got to decide, you know, how do I want to use this nation? Do I want to use it as a, a threat, internal, external? Do I want to use it as a, you know, it's it's full of adventure. It's full of things. Am I just going to be a thief that walks over the border and tries to tries to steal from the nation? Or is it someplace that I'm trying mm -hmm. to hide? Um, is it an adventure point? Is it a mm -hmm. visit? Or is there going to be a stay? Um, am I from this area? Um and it's really a place where it's almost an anything goes. And I, and I know that in, in terms of Eberron, there's a lot of things that you can throw in and it's, it's just not going to be the same. But now think of a lot, like, like Keith had mentioned earlier, what's the logical conclusion to having a nation where, where people with powers are organized, you know, where they're, mm -hmm. you know, where their natural inborn abilities are, are like that. I mean, um, I'll, I'll just give a, a, a sort of an off description for a sec. Um, I remember mm -hmm. I was uh, I was running a game, and I was running, and the villain was the bad guy was a beholder, and when and the the adventurer didn't tell you how to set that up. And I said, well, this is something that can disintegrate has an eye ray that can disintegrate walls. They can mm -hmm. float. They can punch holes up, down, whatever direction. I don't have to give the players a set idea of how to complete this. This is not going to be a, a set battle map and they're going to attack the thing. This thing's going to have a hole drilled up in the ceiling and it's going to pop its eyes out and, <laughs> and attack. And it's the same way with, with the Medusa. They, they're, they're going to, they're going to use their ability to turn things to stone to their advantage. They're going to, the Minotaurs are going to have, you know, they're going to think they're going to defend their areas. They're going to have these things. So really it's a, it's a nice thought process and a nice thought experiment for the DM as well. I, I really believe that. And for the player, especially um, as for the characters, you know, if you enter this area and you're regular characters, you enter this area. Not only are you the alien, I'm not going to say necessarily the, the monster. I'm going to say you are the alien, but you're also mm -hmm. the weak mm -hmm. alien. <laughs> Right, you're the right. you're no, the exactly. kobold. You're you know, the kobold. These creatures yeah. pity. You. Yeah, exactly. You don't mm -hmm. have powers. Yeah, you, you do as a player character, but you don't have powers. You're the puny human um, sort of thing. Exactly. How are you gonna be treated? 
And, and yeah, and so first off, I can completely agree with that, you know, and to them, they look at, at you and see you as, as again, like I said, their view of, of the sovereigns is, you know, clearly your gods are lame because I can turn things to stone and you can't. So, you know, why didn't your God give you that? Um, at the same time, again, it is interesting not just to look at um, what a single monster could do with its powers, but also what they could do with them together. Like one of the things we introduced, I think we talked about it in fourth edition, you know, is okay. They have a power group. That's a group of lycanthropes. Uh, they have ogres and trolls. Well, let's make an army of, you know, werewolf trolls. Um, you know, what happens when we put chocolate in the peanut butter, essentially? And so, uh, so it's, it's to me a lot of fun to whatever monster you're interested in to look at it and think, okay, how could you harness that and how can you combine its abilities together with other monstrous abilities? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good stuff. Very good stuff. All right. My uh, Um, my cat, by the way, speaking of monsters, has been knocking things over and such. So I apologize for some background noise on my end. I just assumed it was a cat because. Yes, it is. (laughs) That's what cats do. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. Well, um, I don't think there's any anything else that I mean, I'm sure we could talk for hours, but of course. Um, But I think we'll go ahead and wrap up. Uh, So thank you all for listening. And be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone where you can find subscription links to our show, post comments on an episode. You can find links to our Twitter and Facebook pages and whatever option you prefer. Let us know what you think of the show. And uh, next time that you hear from us, we might have something kind of special planned. I'm not going to give any details away. Way no spoilers. Yep. 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 But but we'll see. So I'll see you all next time. All right. Until then, keep exploring.